Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL, here with my best friend, Sarah Longwell. And sitting in for my other best friend, Tim Miller, is my actual very old friend, Sonny Bunch. Before we get started, hit the thumbs up, hit subscribe, leave us the five stars on your podcast app, and then go to thebulwark.com and sign up for all of our stuff. Charlie Sykes writes an excellent morning newsletter every single day, and it's great and it's free. I write a fairly okay mostly math newsletter uh, also every day that is sometimes free and sometimes only for subscribers but uh just don't go giving us money yet just go get the free stuff have the can you know we're like the nice van that pulls up with the into your neighborhood with the the weird clown saying here have some candy kids Jeez, there's an inviting that's great what a comparison come get in our crazy kidnapping van folks <laughs> everything's fine Guys, we begin with Fox having the surprise settlement announced in its Dominion suit yesterday for, I'm going to mess this up, $787.5 million, which seems like a fair amount, until you find out that the Fox Corporation has $4 billion of cash on hand. And of course, they must have libel insurance. And their libel insurance probably will cover some very large portion of this money as well. I would like to know, just before I start pushing and prodding and making you all come to the dark side with me, what do you think of this, Sarah? I mean, I was a little disappointed that they settled because I thought that trial was going to be good for sunlight. You, like, dropped something in a—maybe it was the next level where you said they do know—the viewers of Fox know about it and they just don't care. And I— said afterwards, I was like, I meant to push back on that because I had just done a focus group a couple weeks ago where we specifically asked a group of two-time Trump voters. It had never come up once. And I was like, ask them about Dominion. And so the moderator asks about Dominion and they all just stared at us. Like the blank stares you get when you ask about something that is a big national news story, but that Republican voters have never heard about because they watch Fox News and Fox News was not talking about it. They were, however, you know, they understood that the Tucker had gotten his hands on some good January 6th footage that showed the whole thing was a scam. So like what I wanted from the trial is the same thing that we got with the January 6th committee, which is when it's a big enough news story that Republicans feel the need to push back and they go on Fox News to push back, which allows the story to penetrate the psyches uh, of the viewers, right? And like we needed that and we aren't going to get that. And so as a result, I think it's a big disappointment for like them actually finding out that they were being lied to and sort of pushing back on the idea that the election was stolen in general. I would like to push back on your pushback. Yes, please. I do not go to concerts anymore. I like Taylor Swift fine, but I do not seek out her music. I am very much aware that Taylor Swift had a real big problem with Ticketmaster over her latest tour and the initial sales, it was like a, a big deal. And I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I'm aware that this happened. I hate the royals. And yet I am aware that Harry and Meghan have made some sort of split and that they now live in California and have a TV show. Here's the thing I actively avoid. I try my hardest to never learn anything about the sport of golf because I effing hate golf. And yet I'm aware that Saudi Arabia has the their own competitor tour to the PGA. It's called Live. I'm aware that Tiger Woods made the cut at the Masters for like the 89th straight time, but then he had to pull out. I try to avoid these stories and I know about them. How is it that these people can, these functioning adults can, can move through life without ever hearing about it? I don't buy it. 
Okay. I don't buy it. I don't understand Do you understand know what you it. are? Do you know what you are? You know why you are different? A constant, avid consumer of all kinds of media. Just constant. Which many of these people are not. You know what they do? They live in a media ecosystem that's quite clear. It's a Fox News slash OANN Newsmax. They're friends on Facebook. And who all also just listen to those right-wing media outlets. And you know what? It's possible that when we said... Dominion, and uh, that just like didn't quite resonate. But if you kind of, if you really, really pushed on them, if you, we didn't, it was like, has anybody heard of this? Because we were going to talk about it, and then nobody had, so we just moved on. That maybe somebody might have been like, oh, maybe I heard something about that. But like, but then they don't believe it anyway, right? Like, part of it is that they don't, they don't want to hear. That's, so I understand, that's the key. I understand. But here's the thing most of them just hadn't heard about it. And I'm saying there might be some people for whom, like, they caught a little bit of it, but they, like, immediately dismissed it because it's something bad about their team. Like, I'll give you some of that. Like, I'm telling you, too, if you watch Fox News, they never talked about this. Neither did anybody else on the right in the right wing media ecosystem because they're all, Fox News is the big show that they're all auditioning for. And so. I think it's, it was important. Like Fox News made an apology. No. Or not an apology. Sorry, no. sorry, sorry. They, they made an admission. Sorry. They made an admission. No. Yes, they did. They said Let that me they, read it to you. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. I'm going to read the entirety of Fox's statement. We are pleased. You're just giddy, giddy, giddy happy. So pleased to have reached a settlement of our dispute. Just a dispute. Like two neighbors with a fence with Dominion voting systems. You're not reading the statement. You're interjecting. We acknowledge (laughs) the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. They don't acknowledge that the claims were false. They acknowledge that the court ruled that certain of those claims were false. I agree. It's unsatisfying. This settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. We are hopeful that our decision to resolve this dispute with Dominion amicably... I wonder if they know what the word amicably means. Instead of the acrimony of a divisive trial allows the country to move forward yeah. from these issues. Right. Moveon.org. I have so much to talk about in this, this statement. Uh, Sonny, would you say that this sounds like an admission? I'm not 100% sure what either of you want from this. because well, I wanted the trial. That's that's all. I wanted the trial. Okay, but I like I don't think that the trial is would actually have been that great because it's not like Fox News would have been covering it every day, you know, for five hours a day, right? It would have gotten like thirty seconds on Brett Baer's show, so they could say, "Look, the news site is covering this important news story," and then they would move on. So I don't I don't think an actual trial would have made any difference to the people it needs to make a difference to, which is Fox News viewers. But I also JBL is you know kind of dismissive of the the penalties here and the outcomes. I this is almost. The best case scenario, because here's what happened. Fox News, even if the the statement was mealy mouthed, uh, had to admit that the court has found them to be liars. They had to pay a ton of money. Like, I know we want to say, oh, it's just a portion of revenue over a quarter. It's a ton of money. Seven hundred eighty seven million dollars is objectively an extremely large amount of money. That's you know what that is. That is how much money an enormously successful blockbuster grosses. Losing all of that is a, is a problem. That's a lot of money, and losing it is a problem. But the most important thing here is we got to see all the stuff anyway. We got the documents. We got the emails. We got the text messages. It's in there. It's out in the universe in perpetuity. We are able to point to the people at Fox anytime we want and be like, you're liars, and you're lying to people, and you know you're lying to people, and you're doing it all the time, and you're probably still doing it, and that's good. 
like, I am not sure what else could have been accomplished by going to trial with the exception of it's entirely possible that Fox would have had to pay zero dollars. It's all downside, I think, to a trial. Totally agree about settlement. Let me just throw this out here. This is how far down we have defined the standards, right? When I say to you that, you know, what would you want? Here's the thing that I might want. I might want Fox to settle. And as part of the settlement, say, we're going to put out a statement that we are going to read once on the prime time, listing the things that we said and allowed on our air that were untrue. And we are going to institute some policies, even if this is all just bullshit, to make sure that this sort of thing never happens again. That would have made me quite happy. Again, even if it was all bullshit, even if it was, you know, the policies are just like everybody use a burner phone to text. Don't text on your actual personal cell phone. But we have such low standards for Fox that even something like that is unthinkable. That's impossible. That's like asking a cow to jump over the moon, right? They could never do no, that. No, but I don't think it would make any difference. I don't think it's impossible. They have actually done that. They've read statements on the air that said, we have been untrue about things Dominion has done. They've actually literally done that. It doesn't matter. That's my point. My point is none of that actually matters. It's not defining standards down. It just makes no difference. I think in the actual world, it would make no difference. It would make a difference if Fox began acting like a semi-responsible journalistic outlet instead of like a propaganda arm. So here's the thing about the settlement that I that I don't love, right? Which is the $778 million is a lot of money. Agreed. JBL's point about liability insurance, well taken. But I do think it's like, it's a stiff penalty. The question is, is like, what is that I want a verdict that addresses the damage, right? So they're paying damages. So what they did was address the damages to Dominion and its reputation. What it is not addressing is the damage to democracy and the country the, around the lie. Now, hold on a second, Sonny Bunch. But that's not uh, what the trial would be. Okay. That's not what a trial does. That's, no, not, but, but, that's not how the legal system works. Hold on. They're not but, <laughs> so I, but so when you say, what do you want? I agree with JVL that I want, I would like, for them to have to do much more. And, and here's my here's the thing. So to JBL's point about it matters what happens going forward. Okay, so right now, the front runner for the Republican nomination repeatedly makes those same false claims, the ones that they just had to do a payout for, right? Are they going to still have him on? And when they have him on, are they going to correct him when he makes those claims? Are they going to run a disclaimer every time he says it? <laughs> like, imagine? What, what is it that they will do to change the way that they operate? That's a great question. I, it would be very funny if they adopted the CNN-style live fact check that all of the Republicans, you know, hated and made fun of CNN and MSNBC for, for years. But, like, as just pure defense against getting sued into oblivion again, like, it would be it would be funny to do. I don't know. I mean, look, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that, that question is. I just don't know. There is a result from this trial that would have been satisfactory in that regard. Here's a question for you guys. From Fox's perspective, purely as a business, right? So take all of right and wrong and morality out of it. For the purposes of their business, which of the following two outcomes would have been preferable? A, they are on the hook for $770 million, but they don't have to admit publicly any wrongdoing, especially on air to their viewers. Or... They could have had to pay out $50 million, but they would have had to have each of their hosts do like a four-minute segment on, here are the 30 things that we did that were wrong, we're sorry. Which, which would have been more, which of those is preferable purely to their, their interests 
qua business. 100% paying out the big fine. We know that because they just did it. Do you know what I wanted, Sonny? I wanted Tucker Carlson on the stand. I wanted Tucker Carlson on the stand reading his text messages. I wanted a prosecutor to be like, read your text messages, and then let me show you the clip of Pillow Guy or Sidney Powell on your show making these claims and you going nodding along, or your own statement saying something's really up with Dominion while you have said right here in these text messages that this stuff is BS. That's what I wanted. Yeah, I would have taken taken that. I mean, that that would be fine and fun as well. I just don't I don't know that it would actually I don't think it actually adds as much to all of this as you guys think. To answer your question, though, JBL, so is is your question, which costs them more money in the long run? Seven hundred eighty seven yes. upfront versus 50 million and potential lost audience. Is that yes. is that the I don't think they would lose any audience. I think they would lose literally zero audience and it would not actually make any difference in the world. So I think 787 probably costs them more money in the long run. Maybe that's true. And to JVL, just to back up Sonny for one second, though, let's think about so Tucker Carlson, his texts are out there in which he says, what did he say? I I hate that fucking guy. I don't like to swear on these hate podcasts, but I'm going hate him passionately. There is no upside to Oh, I didn't even to have him. to swear. I didn't even have to swear because he didn't say that. Sorry, with apologies. I hope your kids were in the car. Maybe they'll bleep me. Here's the thing. Donald Trump still went and sat down with Tucker, still just did a big interview with him like a week ago. So even though we know it, did it change anything? I mean, maybe Sonny's right. Without these types of sort of moments where people are held accountable in ways that are more specific, right? Like the part of it too is like the damage, like who did the damage, right? So Hannity, Laura, Maria Bartiromo, like these Judge Boxawine, like, do they pay a penalty for this? No, they get to skate under the big umbrella of the seven hundred and eighty-seven million, right? What has happened to Lou Dobbs? Has he been removed from the air? I like he was removed from the air. He was gone from Fox Business. Although, yeah. I mean, had you watched Lou Dobbs lately? That guy was off his freaking rocker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, but yes. I want to read one sentence from the statement, though. This strikes me as the absolute fuck you to America from Fox. This settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. The two words I want you to focus there are continued and highest, right? These words are absolutely gratuitous in the context of this sentence. You, it could have simply read, this settlement reflects Fox's commitment to journalistic standards. Right, that 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 gets across the exact same. There's no poetry thing. in that. By saying continued, what they're doing is they're saying, "Oh yeah, even back then we had the highest." But like this is just all the same, it's all in continuum. Nothing, nothing's changed. By saying it's the highest, not just journalistic standards, but the very tippy tippy top. This is their version of like doing the John Cena, "You can't see me," right? And I look at that and I think even here, this is. Fox behaving like a propaganda outlet. Because again, yeah. the lawyerly version of this statement doesn't have those two words in it. The lawyerly, like, you know, the fewest possible words, say as little as possible, don't give anybody anything to nag on. This is the, like, version of that statement. And it's amazing to me. I'm glad that you bring up journalistic ethics here because I will say that the the reason I am not surprised that there was a settlement was because, look, JBL, you're a journalist. You've been a journalist for a long time. You've sat through any number of presentations from law firms that your organization has brought in 
to explain to you what libel and slander and defamation are and how you avoid those things as a journalist. Should we be doing that at the Bulwark? Should I bring, should I have lawyers coming in to do <laughs> you that? You should because they're actually really fun. This is me being a real sicko here, but I love these things. I think they're incredibly fun because it, it lets you run through a lot of different hypotheticals and figure out exactly how far you can push things. But like, again, we've sat through a ton of these things, you and me, JBL. And the one thing that I thought the entire time as I was watching this trial play out was they're going to have to settle this because I've never seen anyone violate as many of the things that I saw in these presentations in one place at one time as Fox News has done here. It's like they went down a checklist and did every single thing wrong. <laughs> That's exactly it's, right. It's like, it's wild. And put it in writing too, right? This is the, I mean, there is a right. Tony Soprano lesson to it, which is pick up your phone and dial Suzanne Scott yeah. to, to say that. Don't text her with it. Or get a burner phone, right? Laura Tucker and uh, Sean, you guys each have special burner phones that you only use to text each other that don't have your, you know, you buy them at, at Dwayne Reed. Don't have it in your name with a contract. Anyway, journalistic standards, uh, not Fox's strong suit in this situation. All right. In other news, Ron DeSantis escalated his war with Disney, suggested that he might build a prison or alternative theme park next door to Disney World in Florida said that he is considering sending extra ride inspectors to Disney to really lock down, which I think is funny because Disney World is like the only amusement park I've ever known that I don't think I've ever heard of anybody dying there. Growing up in Jersey, people die in our amusement parks all the time. Great adventure, action park, like it's, you know, you take your life in your hands. Disney World was adventure without the risk, as Douglas Copeland famously put it, I think. This on top of the DeSantis begin to push back with his own super PAC ad saying, what happened to Donald Trump? He's different now. Thoughts? So why is Ron DeSantis suddenly talking about putting a prison next to Disney World? Uh, maybe because he doesn't like the conversation that the media has been having the last tier bit about his slide in the polls and Trump's pudding ad. And look, he's had a bad couple of weeks. And first rule of PR is if that if you don't like the narrative, change the conversation. And look, he'd rather fight with Disney than with Trump. And so uh, he went back to the well and said, yeah, look, here are all the ways I'm the big bad governor and I can make your life miserable, Disney. Also, because he'd also had a news cycle in which everybody's like, oh, we got owned by Disney. You know, he's not able to do this. So he's right. he's looking for a reason to have people talk about something. Like, he clearly just couldn't round up migrants fast enough to get them on the plane. But like, if he could have, or if he could have gotten indicted himself for something, uh, <laughs> he would have done that. Like, he just needed something to get people talking about something else. And I think that's what that was all about. I have very conflicting thoughts on this sequence of events for a couple reasons. On the one hand, you have Donald Trump weirdly ceding the but he fights ground to Ron DeSantis. He, you know, Trump puts out a statement. He says, you know, what is what is Ron talking about putting a prison next to Disney? He should be focused on the squatters. I don't know what the squatters are, but like I <laughs> but he's like, why is he talking about putting a prison next to Disney? That's insane. And then you have Don Jr., talking about how Republicans shouldn't boycott the great American company Bud Light. They, they donate to Republicans and they're, they love America, so don't boycott Bud Light. So you have this weird little pullback there by the Trump people. And then DeSantis, I think, I, I really think DeSantis is making a strategic error, not necessarily by going to war with Disney, because that hits a lot of the culture war pleasure centers with the base right now, even if it doesn't make any sense to the general public. But 
like this specific way he is doing it, like you never have to give Donald Trump credit. They're like ISIS, right? But saying I'm going to put a prison next to Disney World is an insane thing to say. I mean, it just sounds insane. It's like if I was, if I'm like a parent who, you know, doesn't like Disney maybe anyway, but like, and like kind of wants to be with Ron DeSantis, I'm like, wait, you want to put a bunch of like rapists next to the children's theme park? I don't understand the thinking here. So I'm very confused by this current moment. I, I look at it and I, and none of it really makes any sense to me. I think Trump once again here has figured out where the populist position is for this, right? Because DeSantis finds himself in a very conservative position, but kind of like in a weirdo conservative position where this was, you know, what Trump did in 2016. He was like, you guys have all these stupid litmus tests over there, and I'm just going to come in and put myself in the dead center of the party, and I'm not going to, you know, do, do I'm not going to do your gay marriage thing. I'm not going to do your crazy social con thing, and I'll get those people anyway because they know that I'm on their side. You know, his statement yesterday was like, you know, Disney's the biggest business in Florida. You got to keep the economy humming. He, you know, DeSantis couldn't figure out how to make a deal. This is, which is exactly the kind of playbook he ran in 2016, right? It was like, I would just go in and I'll make the deal. Believe me, I'll sit down with the Democrats and I'll make the best deals, right? And people bought it. And why wouldn't they buy it here too? I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Sarah? I want to talk about that pack ad where it's like the what happened to Donald Trump. Why is he attacking Governor Ron DeSantis? What kind of whiny garbage is this? Boy, howdy, like, isn't it? I'm sorry. Did God make a fighter or not? Because if you told me, Ron DeSantis, that God made a fighter, and now your position is, why is Donald Trump attacking me during a Republican primary where I'm the punitive second place person? What are you talking about, bro? I'm sorry. Did you not know he was going to be mean to you? I mean, Ron DeSantis is not doing great here. And and we're getting close. I said this in Politico today, but like we're getting dangerously close to Ron DeSantis ceding so much ground that we're in like a Trump inevitability place. Like the thing that happened yesterday where DeSantis comes to D.C., to rustle up some endorsements because everybody's oh, endorsing Trump already. Then what happens? While he's away from Florida, half the Florida delegation endorses Trump. Yeah. And then tells stories about how Ron DeSantis has been a dick to them all this time. I found that fascinating. Wild. DeSantis, I mean, look, again, full disclaimer here, I'll vote for DeSantis over Donald Trump in a second. I, Same, like, bro. Would, wouldn't, even, wouldn't even occur to me not to. But he is remarkably weak on some of the very basic schmoozing, glad-handing style politics that Donald Trump is very, very good at. Like, say what, again, like, you don't have to hand it to Donald Trump, but, like, he he knows how to get on the phone with somebody and talk their ear off and make them feel special, and they, they walk away possibly confused, but also like, well, Donald Trump at least, you know, knows who I am. And I get the sense that Ron DeSantis is more of an ice king. He's not a happy, hey, buddy, let's, how'd you do on the back nine there? You know, I like, that's not the his Tilda style. Swinton. Which, of conservative politics. <laughs> that is a real insult to Tilda Swinton, who is an incredible actress. I'm trying to meet you on your level, man. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. The cake uh, planchet. It's stop. <laughs> what are you doing? I was just trying. I was trying to figure out how to take it that one step further. <laughs> just to... No, I'm not saying Tilda Swinton's a bad actress. I'm just saying her thing is that like she's the aloof ice queen. Ice queen. And that's you know in in every role she does. <sighs> I gotta say it makes me worry about DeSantis. And uh, Sarah, so what if, what if DeSantis 
begins to look like he's cratering. Yeah. Let's say he goes down sub 20. Now he still gets in. I think he has to get in. Did you notice the Ross Douthat piece this week that was like, you know, no, he has to run. He has to, has to run. Please run, precious. God, fucking guy. <laughs> so DeSantis goes down to, tw- to 18, right? He's at 18 in the polling average. And he's going to run. He's going to do it anyway. Is there enough time and initiative, do you think, for the conservative Republican blob to find somebody else and congeal around him? To go to Brian Kemp or Glenn Youngkin Right. Glenn Youngkin seems to have decided he's going to enter in like September or October. He's going to finish the Virginia legislative session. He is going to get the Virginia House election done. And if he can flip the House of Delegates, say, look at this, I turned Virginia red. And that's his pitch. Is there time for that, do you think? I think there's time. To me, the limiting factor is not time. It is talent. Yes. And so the question that I have is, is there somebody in the field? Is it Sununu? Is it is it no, Youngkin? You is it Kemp? It's not, it's not Sununu. Sorry. Right. But I'm just saying, like, is there somebody who, who enters, who everybody, when they're doing second looks, right? Because this is the thing. We're on first looks. A bunch of people aren't even in. I think that DeSantis is, is allowing Trump to be on the precipice of inevitability. And I think that's bad. And I also think It's wrong. You don't want Trump to get to a place where everybody's like, this is inevitable. And I'm starting to hear a lot of that. I don't think he's inevitable. My personal position is that there will be a bunch of flips and flops between now and then. I agree with that. And that it won't just be a a full straight path. That said, something's got to get in his way. And if it's not going to be Ron DeSantis, it has to be one of these other people. And the question is, like, does anybody have the talent? I do think there's a, a way actually to come in late and get on second looks like catch fire because I actually think sitting too long with people in a Republican primary where they just, this is why Vivek Ramaswamy is like weirdly the name that I hear now yeah. coming up though. Well, what about him? Yeah, what about good old Vivek? Anyway, so I, I just, my, my point is that like, I think there's plenty of time. I'm not sure I see the person who has the talent. Like, I mean, I watched Tim Scott, Tim Scott announced his exploratory committee and then proceeded to just suck Every time somebody asks him, what do you think about abortion? What do you think the six weeks? And he goes, well, well I was I'm on a, a banking committee once. I'm a Christian and I'm 100% pro-life, but I think there's going to be discussions about this. And then suddenly the banking committee and you're like, <laughs> Tim Scott, are you really bad at this? You seem really bad at this. Just like DeSantis suddenly seems really bad at this. Like who's who's good at it? I don't know. The problem is I don't think Yunkin is the guy. I agree that Coming in late, especially if you are somebody with an established national brand, right? Like Tucker, just to pick a name. If Tucker got in in October, I think Tucker could conceivably win the nomination. Now, I don't think he's going to, but that's the type of, you know, an outsider. Look, you laugh at me, Sonny. No. If Tucker wanted to, to be the Republican presidential nominee, I think he could. I'm not laughing at you. I'm I'm laughing at... The universe? Because I don't I don't think that's wrong. Like, I could actually envision a scenario in which Tucker Carlson is like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I love Donald Trump. He's been great for America. But, you know, he's he's weak against the Democrats and we need a fighter right now. I don't know. I could see it Sp- with his yeah. dip cup, his spit cup going, <laughs> going from town hall to town hall. I could see it. So, Sarah, what about the money, though? There was an interesting side in Tara Palmieri's piece about uh, how a conservative donor, big billionaire, came to 
DeSantis and was like really upset over the six week abortion ban. The DeSantis campaign's response was America is is littered with conservative billionaires. We'll find three others. Who cares? We don't need him. Yeah. I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe you will have a better sense of it than I do. But can the money pivot that quickly? I mean, how I don't know how like wealthy donor or conservative types think. There's a lot of herd mentality among donors. And so like Tim Scott, there's one guy who's basically going to yeah, bankroll Ellison, Tim right? Scott. Yeah. Right. And that guy, when you have billions of dollars, you're like, here, friend, here's 200 million bucks. Run hard, yeah. friend. <laughs> um, and so like, okay, uh, that's a lot of money. Although 200 mil, they're probably not enough to really, really do it. So like they will stampede, but they're they're in this place, right, where they're pivoting. They're looking for another horse because they're thinking, OK, maybe DeSantis doesn't have it. Where are they going to go? I mean, Youngkin, right? Unless Kemp makes yeah. it clear that he's willing to run. I've long said Kemp's the obvious guy, right? I don't know about this. I kind of agree with you in this in, on paper, but I on paper. He can't be, though, because he was crosswise with Trump. That's the big problem of Kemp. And he's not like the most charismatic guy. Like, That's the real problem here is that yeah. he's a very good state level politician that I do not know necessarily translates to the rest of the country. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but this is also kind of the DeSantis problem. DeSantis is objectively a good politician. He has won a lot of races. He, you know, he is the second polling person in the Republican primary. I don't dispute that he has some skills, but he is also lacking a very important thing a like nameless quality that makes you appealing to people. And I'm not I'm not sure that Kemp really has that either uh, on a national level. I don't know. I just think there's going to be several donor pivots as they flail around here and they're going to want to have somebody to fight Trump. But the problem is, is that they have to be good enough that they think they really could beat him for people to get super crosswise with Trump. Like when I talk about Trump inevitability, what I mean is, is that enough people start to think, oh, my God, it's going to be him that they lay down and stop fighting. Like if they decide basically like, guys, it's going to be him and I can't risk him coming after me. Like literally this guy is making retribution a centerpiece of how he's running. Menace has always been an element of this. Nobody wants to be in this guy's crosshairs. Most importantly, the crosshairs of his fanatical cult-like right. following that will attack people on his behalf. And so if Trump starts to take on an air of, boy, there really isn't somebody who can beat him, Everybody just gives up because they don't want to be one of the people fighting the fight. They need a winner. And if it like that's why they're panicking about DeSantis. So here's my question then about the inevitability. Let, let's just pretend we're in a world where we're coming up on June. It's Trump 55, DeSantis 18 or 20 and nobody else in double digits. At some point, do you get a dynamic where people look at it and say, yeah, he's probably inevitable, but don't worry, he's going to lose the general? Because I think a lot of those people or DeSantis just assume that Trump will lose the general, not something I assume. And don't worry, this is the last time we'll ever have to deal with him. Let's just give this one a pass, right? Once he loses, we'll never have to, to deal with Donald Trump again. JVL's most terrifying and accurate prediction is that Donald Trump will be with us forever. He's If he loses in 2024, he's definitely running again in 2028. If he loses in the general or the primary, he's running again in 2028. <laughs> like there's not there's no getting rid of him. Like there, he doesn't have anything else to do. So what else is he going to do besides menace us forever? So I don't know. What do you think, Sarah? I mean, could they just look at it and decide, yeah, he's probably inevitable. Yeah. There is nobody else I'm worth spend. I'm worth wasting my money on. And don't but don't worry, he's going to lose. We'll just take the cycle off and we'll be back to to really win those midterms against a reelected Biden who's too old and senile. So 
I think for some people. So here's the deal. Like the problem is, is that people are very, they're used to the cadence of being a big player in Republican politics, yeah. right? Where they just are like, this is the time we write big checks and we see all our friends and we go to donor retreats out on some crazy island somewhere where everybody wears masks and there are probably like ritual killings. I don't know what they do, what billionaires <laughs> do, but <laughs> look, but the, the donors still play some of this out. I think the period in which they decide they realize or decide that let's just let this happen is like longer from now. I think they'll they'll try a couple horses out first to see if anybody gets traction. And my guess is that, and actually write this down because this is how I think it's going to go. Okay. Like everybody will get a chance, right? They'll go to Tim Scott and then there'll be a little Scott Boomlet. Ooh, a lot of donor interest in Tim oh, Scott. Oh, like the Herman Cain bump. Yeah, like the Herman Cain and then what's her name from Minnesota and like, you know, Michelle everybody Bachman had like their and, moment. Yeah, everybody had a moment. Michelle Duke Bachman, Gingrich. thank you. That's right. And and so there'll be like a period of time and like there's a lot of time to fill for reporters and process stories. Ah, oh, I'm hearing Tara Palmieri says that everybody's looking at Tim Scott now and he's raised $121 million and suddenly everyone's there's the Scott boomlet. And then Scott comes out and talks and says about how he's a Christian and doesn't have a position on abortion and looks really sucky. And then everyone's like, you know what? What's Glenn Youngkin doing? When's that Virginia legislature out of session? You know, and then they then there's a Yunkin boomlet. And literally what happens is, this is the part I want you to write down, after they've exhausted their options, they'll come back to DeSantis. Because DeSantis will manage to stay, <laughs> I think, probably in double digits. Uh, and so after they've ridden everyone else for a minute, they'll come back and be like, I don't know, yeah, I hate this guy, but like he's the only one still in double digits. Let's try. Or that's when they tap out. Sarah, did you want to talk about your piece? Somebody made you angry on the internet. I just want to say, so I, I wrote, I wrote the piece that I said I was going to write. A great piece. Yeah, the before Trump, after Trump piece. Thank you. Yeah, my wife was like, boy, that piece Sarah did was fantastic. I was like, I know Sarah's great. You love her so much. She's so smart. So somebody in the comments literally was like, "Is that buggy whip line yours or JVL's on the edit?" And I was like, "Ooh, how did they know?" <laughs> uh, it was like the best line in the piece, and of course, it was JVL's edition. So anyway, so Michael Brendan Doherty over at uh, the National Review wrote a response in which he agrees with my premise that we're not going back, but says that my central thesis of the piece is that this is all the fault of the deplorables. And at the end of the day, you know, I am just taking what is the institutional bulwark position that the people are the problem. That's my position. That's not your That's position. That's your position. Your position is the triangle of doom. Yeah, and that, and that the people are the most blameless in that triangle. I defend the people all the time. I never call them. In fact, I get very annoyed when people tell me my thesis is the exact opposite of my thesis. And in fact, my thesis is what I get yelled at for all the time because people don't like it that I defend the voters. But just like with the Fox News thing, they're being lied to. They're being lied to. And then, you know, Tom Nichols or you would argue, well, they don't have to sit in that chair and watch Fox News the whole time. They choose to do that. They choose to let their brains be poisoned. Okay, fine. I just, <laughs> I don't blame the voters with nearly the same level of like antipathy that I hold for the leadership and the infotainment right-wing media. So you would say that you're actually a populist. You're with the people. You're anti-elite. No, false. Although <laughs> uh, I'm not a populist. What I am is I am a believer that people are good and that they maintain inside themselves good and wow. bad. And that when you feed all the bad stuff is when you get bad outcomes. 
And I think that there's a bunch of people in the right Republican leadership and in the media who are feeding them bad things because it benefits them, the elite, the new elite, who pretend to be populist and who actually hate those people. I don't hold the people in the contempt. Tucker Carlson holds people in contempt. And that's why they lie to them. Don't get me started. For the record, it is JVL that hates the people. We just want to uh, drive, and Sonny, emphasize that and point. I don't even hate the people as much as Sonny does. Sonny hates the people way more than I do. I only hate the people on certain certain topics, like what movies they watch and TV shows they watch. How about how they behave yeah. in movie theaters? Right, things that matter. So uh, Dianne Feinstein has gotten lost in the Aztec tomb. It's an Arrested Development joke for my friends out there. Do we have thoughts about Dianne Feinstein? Because it seems to me that she should resign her Senate seat and probably should have resigned it a long time ago. No? Is it too much? Is this ageist? I have broad thoughts about all the geriatric people holding seats that would be occupied. Like, nobody likes it when I say this, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she should have stepped down. This is why we have the Supreme Court that we do. Chuck Grassley? What is Chuck Grassley running for another six-year term? That guy is 9,000 years old. Everybody knows how I feel about Joe Biden's age. Like, just in general, the gerant, is it gerontocracy? Is that a, is that gerontocracy, gerontocracy yes. is the right word? Well, we have that and we should stop having that. And of course she should resign. Republicans are under no obligation to necessarily like make things easier for her. Although it is super annoying that Mitch McConnell, also very old, takes a tumble, hurts himself, has to take a bunch of time off and he can't show any collegial reciprocity for her when she's got shingles. But the point is, is that they're all too damn old is the bottom line. Send JVL your hate mail. It is nice that the big push to get her to resign comes from Democrats, right? I mean, Democrats are trying to fix the problem in-house. Well, the left has hated her for a long time. Well, but this isn't just the left. Like, these are these are people who are, like, in party leadership who need to have, like, she's a vote on the Judiciary Committee. She needs to be there to exercise yeah. her vote, yeah. right? This is, she's not doing her job, maybe for very good reasons, but but she isn't doing it. And so the push to get her isn't like a progressive push to like, ah, oh, we can finally get DiFi. That's not what's going on. It's a like a party wide like, uh, that's part of it. No, she should resign. She should not be in the Senate anymore. She shouldn't have been in the Senate for like five years now. I think people for a long time have had questions about her ability to do the job. And there's no there's she shouldn't be there. And you know what? Do you know who would make a great Democratic senator from California? Kamala Harris. Tim Miller. Yeah. Kamala Harris. <laughs> oh, that's funny and true. It'd be great, right? Gavin Newsom could appoint her. Um, well, I don't know how it works in California. I don't know if the governor appoints or there's a special election. He does. And it's actually a real, it's a sticky one for him. Yeah. Because he gets to appoint and that gives whoever, this whoever is like a huge leg up. And right now, you know, shifty shift and. Katie Porter, right? Katie, Katie Porter. Katie Porter, right. Yeah. Yeah, reading the news accounts of DiFi's interactions with staff and colleagues is really tough. I mean, to anybody who has ever had an aging parent or grandparent, you read it and you're, you know, it it sounds, I don't want to say elder abuse to keep rolling her out there, but like she shouldn't be doing this, right? She sounds like her decline is so significant that she should she should be at home and surrounded by friends and family. Not in the United States Senate. How old is she? 86? 89, I think. Yeah. I believe she's 89. 89. Who, oh, my goodness. Who was the Republican in his 90s who they were doing the same thing to? Was that Thad Cochran? Strom Thurmond. Well, there was also Strom, Strom Thurmond. Thurmond. Yeah. Strom. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, good show. Long show. Everybody, uh, give us a thumbs up. Subscribe to the show. Do us the five stars. Then come over to thebulwark.com and get my newsletter. Get Charlie's newsletter. Read all the great pieces that Sarah Longwell writes once a quarter. And uh, also, get Sunny Bunch's fantastic newsletter. And actually, one of my favorite podcasts that we do, The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood, which is about movies and the business of entertainment and it is absolutely sensational. And it's sort of outside the donut of what the Bulwark does, but we try to do some politics and some culture. And uh, Sonny's stuff is fan effing fantastic. All right, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.